here at Al-Azatri refugee camp in the north of Jordan and looking out from the roof of a building here and looking out over thousands of roofs this isn't what you'd normally think of as a refugee camp the streets are quiet there are some people on bicycles this is more like a city and there are 80,000 people here 21,000 babies have been born since people came here from the so-called Arab Spring in 2011 when war hit Syria and it really is like a giant city. They have their own schools, they have hospitals, extremely impressive health services and interestingly a great focus on women's welfare and reporting of abuse, sexual abuse and sexual violence which so often characterises refugee camps. But of course, this shouldn't have to be here. These are people who've come from Syria, who had their lives. There'll be a number of professionals here, medics, teachers, who all lend their skills to the refugee camps, but all who had lives before war hit Syria. The question is, how on earth will they go back? I'm here in Amman with Rob Butler, who is the MP for Aylesbury, and also the vice chair of the all-party group on Jordan. And in a, in a previous life, before he came to Parliament, has known the region very well and has worked in the region. Rob, tell me a bit about that. Thanks, Charlotte. And first, let me say I'm absolutely delighted to be on this uh, visit to Jordan. It's a country I've wanted to visit for a very long time, not least because when I left my role as a television presenter, where issues in the Middle East had often been top of the running order, I had the opportunity to go to many countries in the region uh, alongside the BBC and ITN uh, to work with broadcasters in those countries to help train them and coach them in uh, making programmes that were really relevant for their audiences, public service broadcasting, uh, holding governments to account. Uh, and making sure in, in a way that we could uh, further the, the aims of democracy in those countries through broadcast news. So I'm absolutely thrilled that I've been able to continue that interest in my role as, as a parliamentarian and, and now be able to visit countries like Jordan uh, as an MP and, and see things from a slightly different perspective. We've just come from Al-Zatari camp, a refugee camp, large refugee camp, right on the border of Syria in the north of Jordan. What are your impressions of that camp? The first thing that really struck me was its sheer scale. It is the biggest refugee camp for Syrians in the world, home to more than 80,000 of them. You mentioned in your introduction that I'm the Member of Parliament for Aylesbury. Aylesbury is a town of just over 60,000 inhabitants. So let's compare that. In the refugee camp that we've just visited, there are a third more people than in that town of Aylesbury. Aylesbury has grown up over hundreds and hundreds of years. The refugee camp has had to come into existence and develop and provide a sustainable community in the space of 12 years. Uh, and so the second thing that strikes me after the, the sheer scale is the way that infrastructure has developed, how there is a water supply to pretty much every household, that there is energy supply, and that there are facilities for the community, including uh, many health facilities, that there are schools, that there are places that people can go to learn new skills in order that they can hopefully find some work. So that, that infrastructure is, is absolutely key alongside the scale of what is effectively a mini town. The third thing that strikes me, though, is the knowledge that this has to be somewhere that is temporary. This is not a permanent township. This is a place where Syrian refugees can stay until they are able to return home. We must all be striving to enable them to return home for there to be a safe and a stable regime in Syria such that they are not in any way in the long-term future obliged to be making their livelihoods in a refugee camp. That cannot be right for anybody. 
And let's not forget, these are people who fled Syria as the so-called Arab Spring erupted and Syria fell into a very brutal war in 2011-2012. What kind of people are there in the camp? Because they're not refugee by identity, are they? They're actual Syrian people. What kind of people are there in the camp? Well, I think the whole point is there are people of, of all backgrounds, all ages. And it, it is very much like a normal town, you know, to the extent that uh, since that, that camp was established, 20,000 babies have been born there. So people from all walks of life who felt they had to flee what was happening in Syria, the absolutely appalling situation that there was at that time, 20, 2011, 2012, 2013, had to, to, to leave their home, had to leave all of their belongings, had to frequently undertake an incredibly arduous journey to find somewhere that they considered a haven where they could make a home for the future, but hopefully not for the permanent future so that they are able uh, to return at some stage. So you know, I think one of the things you're struck by looking around is you've got adults of all ages and you've got lots of children too. Um, and it's in the interest of all of them that we really don't lose focus on the needs that they have and and it's it's quite easy to lose focus because you know as an, as an ex-journalist myself I know that you what, what's always going to be on the front page of the newspaper or the top of the television news bulletin is what's happening right now it's the latest thing it's the biggest thing and we've obviously all been very much preoccupied rightly by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the appalling war that there is in Europe but we can't allow that to, to close our eyes to the other crises that, that remain in the world and particularly those situations when a country, in this case Jordan, has made such huge strides, has been so generous in terms of its hospitality, welcoming such a massive number of people to its country but at a great financial and to some extent human cost. So you know, it's really vital that we remember all of that and, and that we try to support it in whatever way we can. Before we were at the camp, we had spoken to the military in North Jordan who described to us some of the extent of the horrendous drug smuggling problem over the border from Syria. How on earth can these people ever go home? We have to be optimistic. We have to continue to provide hope for them that they will be able to go home. The babies who have been born in the camp since 2012 have never seen their home and yet they are Syrian citizens. We must make sure that we're trying to provide every type of assistance that we can for those those children in particular. In terms of the specifics of, of the drugs that we were hearing about, the crisis there is absolutely huge. The, the amount of drugs coming over the border from Syria into Jordan stretches into tens of billions of dollars, potentially. Of course, we don't know exactly, but we're certainly talking billions of dollars. This is money that the Syrian regime has to obtain illicitly through incredibly pernicious means. You know, let's not forget that those drugs are doing massive harm to the people who end up consuming them. But that's because of the sanctions that are rightfully imposed on the Syrian regime and them therefore not caring at all what the consequences are of the actions they take to raise any money. What that means for Jordan is that Jordan has got to spend a huge amount of time, effort and money trying to tackle that, that the scourge of, of that smuggling that's going on. The military are clearly doing some absolutely excellent work in that regard. I'm, for obvious reasons, not going to talk about what they're doing in, in, in any detail, but I was very, very impressed by the means that they're using, um, the techniques that they are able to deploy and the absolute determination they've got to stamp out this evil trade. And stamp it out we must because that is going to be part of turning Syria into a more stable, a more secure, a more normal country that will then ultimately enable the people in the Zatari camp to return home, which exactly as you've just said is, is the challenge that we face. Rob, thank you very much. Hello, my name is Alia Boran. I'm a member of the Senate. I sit on the Foreign Relations Committee. I'm a former ambassador to the Court of St. James, to Washington and to Brussels. 
Your Excellency, we've been very lucky to spend a couple of days here, very busy days on a delegation, hearing about the perspectives from Jordan. There are many who won't have had the chance to come to Jordan and hear themselves. What are the key messages that listeners in the UK need to take about the situation in Jordan at the moment? Thank you for asking that question and thank you for your visit uh, to Jordan and thank you for your, for your visit uh, to the refugee camp uh, in Zatari. And as I heard today, it was an eye-opener for the delegation and I'm very happy to hear about that. You know, this is something that uh, really was close to the heart of, of the delegation and this is definitely going to be taken uh, to the British people as well on how much Jordan needs help and support when it comes to the refugees. And I spoke just a couple of minutes ago on the importance of uh, Jordan doing the work on behalf of the international community. We get the praise, we get the pat on the shoulder, and we always say that's fine, that's important, but we don't need also at the same time to prove the credentials of Jordan when it comes to helping others and look at the history and it says it loud and clear. But there's always a threshold whereby Jordan will not be able to surpass that, which is the huge burden that it has on the economy, on the social fabric in Jordan as well, and also on the schools. And as you well know, we are back to the double ship system. And the knowledge economy and the schools is something that Jordan is extremely proud of when it comes to that. And now if you go to the north and you have been there, you will see that some of the schools, they have a Syrian kid sitting side by side, a Jordanian kid. In the past, you see, you see an Iraqi kid. So it says it all about the multilateralism, about the narrative of Jordan in terms of helping others. But we reached a point of really a saturation, if I may use this word, of um, having so much little resources the government is pumping the differences from its own pocket and uh, we need your help and support and this voice to be taken to uh, the rest of your constituency and of course uh, to the British people. I must say, uh, as ambassador, former ambassador to the UK, I only found encouragement, I only found understanding, I only found help and support and we know that the UK has done so much to help Jordan. The London Conference is first of its kind in the world, and it's done for Jordan. And the London Conference, for those who don't know what it was, what was the London Conference and when was it? It was, it was I think, uh, four or five years ago, if not more, a little bit more. And I was uh, really thrilled by the fact uh, that uh, the UK stepped up and said, we are going to focus on Jordan. We are going to call all the investors, all the stakeholders, all the people that believe in humanity and values to come and listen to the Jordanian voice here in London. It was done for the first time, uh, Charlotte. That's, that's amazing. No other country has done that for Jordan as you have done. And we heard that not every other country honoured its pledges. Is that correct? This is, this is very true. And we had uh, so many pledges, uh, but unfortunately, Corona afterwards uh, came in. And, uh, you know, the emphasis of countries and, you know, we understand I'm a diplomat, I'm an ambassador, I understand domestic pressures are huge. And the needs of countries when it comes to their domestic needs is, is big as well. Uh, so we see a shift in terms of how countries, European countries, if I may, are looking at external politics and external policies. Uh, we understand the pressure, we understand the domestic pressure, as I said, but this is a country that really needs the help and support because we are able to do the right thing. And when asked His Majesty or Her Majesty, were asked, why did you receive such huge amounts of, of numbers of refugees? And His Majesty said, because it's the right thing to do. 
Can you just give us an idea of the numbers of refugees and in proportion to the Jordanian population? We are now hosting 1.3 million uh, Syrian refugees. Only 660,000 are registered with the UNHCR. The rest have, you know, infiltrated the country, if I may use this word, before and after the counting of the UNHCR. And now they are in villages and in towns and they are, you know, working and they have taken the jobs of many Jordanians to be, you know, extremely unfortunate. But this is a country of hospitality. This is a country of sympathy. This is a country of uh, values that does understand why these people fled their countries. And you can hear multiple stories about how much Jordanian and, and they you know, welcomed with open arms the Syrian refugees and still do. But there's a point, there's a tipping point, there's a, that kind of point that we don't want to reach to. But this needs your support so that we are able to do the right thing. And this is what His Majesty always says. And so you're making personal sacrifices for the sake of hospitality, but a tipping point is being reached. We also heard particularly about two other major challenges, the drugs trafficking over the Syrian border in the north, and of course the water issue. And not many people will know just how poor on water Jordan is. Can you tell us a little bit about the water issue and then the drugs? Well, the EU, as you have rightfully said, we are the poorest country or the second poorest country on the globe and we depend on the groundwater for us to get the drinking access to safe water. Now we are embarking on a very ambitious project that is going to be done by Jordanian mines, Jordanian engineers with the help and the support of the international community and the World Bank. And this is a huge conveyance that's going to pump water in a very rational way and very uh, structured and studied way from the southern part of Jordan to the northern part of Jordan. And this conveyance will actually get across you from the south to the north and it has its own branches so that it starts uh, to give um, the proper water for and the fresh water for people. And this uh, is a very and extremely important project for Jordan and uh, also any kind of help and support in that regard as well. As you have heard just now, many of the projects fell through. Uh, when we were speaking about the Red Dead, it fell through. When we were speaking about some multilateral other projects that has to do with water desalination, it fell through because of the lack of trust, because of the instability, because of the core issue that we always said that is really destabilizing the region, which is the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And we have been saying, saying, look at the prospects, look at what is this going to benefit both the Israelis and the Palestinians and the larger region when there is a proper RD, when it comes to climate change, when it comes to drought, when it comes to lack of water and what have you. We help each other prosper together. And that's the message of His Majesty. That's the message of, of Jordan and the narrative of, of Jordan. And we have been, and we are consistent, Charlotte, in this because we believe in that, because we are you know, people of peace and people of values and we know and understand exactly what are the benefits of the total peace that we have in mind and based on the peace agreement you ask about the drugs and the captagon war actually that's coming from syria of course it's terrible it's taking lots of time and effort from our armed forces and as you well know no country will be able to protect its borders completely so you know the cooperative efforts and the totalities of issues that are important when we address this issue 
United Kingdom understands this well, other countries understand, and there is a collaboration when it comes to the fight against uh, the drug. Not much is uh, being happening on the Syrian side, although, as you well know, the Arab League um, did come out with a statement saying that it is political process, it is 2254 as the Security Council resolution, and it is step for step. Not step by step, but four step. But now, so far, we haven't seen much. But we are again reaching time and again, so that you know, both sides on the borders, us and the Syrians, will be able to combat this. But we know that is extremely complicated and extremely complex because Jordan knows exactly the branches of the industry, if I may use it, inside Syria and the beneficiaries that are getting wealthy by the minute of that of that run. Your Excellency, thank you very much. Enormous challenges for Jordan and it's in within the interests of the international community and world stability that we all step up, understand them and solve them. Thank you so much. I'm Dina Al-Bashir, a member of the Jordanian parliament, and I'm a lawyer and a mom of two kids. Wow, and you're also part of the Jordanian-UK parliamentary friendship group, aren't you? Definitely, I'm, I'm the head of the committee of friendship between Jordan and UK. That's a friendship we've heard a lot about in our short visit to Jordan. Can you tell me a bit about that and what it means from the Jordanian side? Honestly, it's a very interesting committee because as a parliamentarian, we believe that the relation between Jordan and UK is not born today or uh, it's a recent relationship. We believe that there's uh, ties that goes back long, long, long time ago. We believe that our royalties have a really strong relation, a special relation. That's why we try to maintain this relation and we try to, to strengthen this such relation, honestly, not only between uh, the parliamentarians, but even between Jordanians and British. It's a very unique relation and honestly, uh, every Jordanian who lives in this country believes that there's different relation between us and the citizens of UK. We've seen how special that connection is. Now, we're not in Amman, the capital of Jordan anymore. We are elsewhere and we are in your constituency. Can you tell us a bit about where we are as we speak? We're in Salt. It's in within Balqa. And it's a very different and unique city because it's uh, listed currently in the UNESCO uh, Heritage Conserved uh, Cities. And it's really a different city because we still maintain the heritage and the, the, the buildings are really considered to be old buildings with a different and unique color, which is almost like yellowish uh, stones. That makes it a very unique city. Even that in Jordan, that we have a very strong relation between Muslims and Christian, but in this city, city specifically we are neighbors and we live together all our lives in the city without any type of discrimination but in contrary we, we feel like that we're we're brother and sisters I should say that as we speak we're standing on I think the third floor of a beautiful old house that's being converted into a very traditional restaurant Bait Aziz and as we look down the hill into the valley and then up the hill beyond I can see a church lit up over there and then a mosque over there, and then there's what sounds like wedding music coming up from amongst the houses that tumble down the hillside. Is this a typical evening here? 
It's a typical evening and I'm glad that you are here to witness it honestly because it's a really good vibe that sends great messages abroad that we really in Jordan are really a country with, the, with peace and we search this. Now, we've been extremely lucky to spend a few very, very busy days here, but there will be those who haven't had the chance to come to Jordan. What would you say to people who have not yet been to Jordan about what the UK-Jordanian relationship means and what Jordan's challenges are and what the rest of the world can do to support you? Jordan is a safe country that we're blessed to have the stability and our regime is really led by his majesty is maintaining a good relation worldwide and that's that's the privilege that we we gain from maintaining such relations honestly it's an opening door for us uh, through your delegation through your uh, podcast to invite every single one to visit Jordan and see it with your eyes and definitely it's going to be a very unique visit to Jordan to see the sightseeings in Jordan and a lot of touristic places to visit. Uh, we have the baptism, the Petra, and uh, there's a lot of location to be visited and seen, honestly. And just in respect of the obstacles, we honestly face a lot of obstacles in Jordan. We, we have limited resources and we have a lot of obstacles related to unemployment rate that is high. We have accommodated a lot of refugees recently and a long, long time ago. That means that the burden is still still there and we still suffer to to manage to make these refugees be provided with all the services and all their needs equally as Jordanians. Honestly, that the, the work that has been done in this issue is really huge and we still need the recognition of international committee to, to look in depth in this issue and honestly to help us in respect of trying to accommodate these refugees in, in a better welfare. Well, Dina, thank you. I know Jordan has done a, a pioneering amount to accommodate its refugees and may I say you, your Jordanian hospitality has been, been overwhelming for us as well. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm here with Lord Risby at the end of our trip to Jordan. Lord Risby, tell me a bit about your experience in the Middle East and what you think of the trip that we've just had. Well, there have been the most dramatic changes in the Middle East uh, in the last 20 years, and I've been a parliamentarian now for 30 years, and I've seen these changes. But one country that has remained rock solid in terms of its relationship bilaterally with ourselves has been, of course, Jordan. So it was very good to come at this time. And what is so special about Jordan is that they have dealt with a huge influx of refugees. They're very respected in the rest of the Arab world and indeed enjoy our huge respect and affection. So it was a wonderful visit, not only meeting people who are in politics, in business, etc., but also getting to understand the pressures on Jordan at this time. It's been very rewarding. And there really are huge pressures that Jordan is dealing with, aren't there? Can you outline what we heard from the, the senior political figures that we met? They're huge problems. This is not a country which has natural resources in the way that many Arab countries do have. And it's an astonishing situation when you think that one third of the population is actually uh, from elsewhere and they're refugees, migrants, because of all the terrible conflicts that have taken place in this region. And what is so extraordinary about Jordan is that the Jordanian people don't object to this. In many parts of the world where there are huge migratory flows, the local population does object. 
And what is extraordinary is that people who are refugees are able to work and actually be part of the economy of the country, which again is very unusual. But there are huge problems because the cost of the refugees is enormous for a country that does not have these natural resources. But it is done with good grace and great commitment and again without complaint from the people of the country. While we were here, we heard a lot about the, the Hashemite way of doing things and the Hashemite ethos. To what extent do you think that plays a role in the way the country is hospitable to the refugees? Well, there's a long tradition of this. And the role of the royal family, which is a very ancient uh, royal family, is extraordinary. And there is this sense of commitment, for example, to the holy sites in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but this Hashemite instinct of being generous to other people and welcoming to other people, again, is something which is very much part of the characteristics of the royal family, who do play a hugely important part in the political life. And the reputation of the royal family and the way that the king here interfaces with other Arab leaders, as well as Western leaders, again, is remarkable. There is this continuity, and it is absolutely supported by the people of Jordan. There's not only been an influx of refugees and people, really as a consequence of the political and security issues of the neighbours around Jordan, but there's been an influx of things that have not been so welcomed by the Jordanians. Um, we're talking about the drug smuggling over the borders from Syria into northern Jordan and then elsewhere. What's your assessment of that situation? It's horrific. And these pills, which are so destructive, are now being spread right across the region. They're manufactured largely by Hezbollah in Lebanon and in the southern part of Syria. And they come across the border and they come across in a very sophisticated way, even including drones. And it is very profitable. And it has a devastating social impact on young people who get involved in these drugs. The truth of the matter is that the Syrian economy is dependent on this drug trade because the Syrian economy is unfortunately wrecked for the people of Syria. And this is a terrible problem. So one of the things that we did was visit the military on the northern border. We saw the sophisticated equipment they're now deploying to try to stop this, with the help, of course, of other countries, because the social consequences and economic consequences are simply dreadful. And to think that there are parts of Lebanon and a large part of Syria who actually earn their living by this absolute poisonous spread of these drugs is so shocking. And it was salutary to hear about the consequences of these drugs and all the huge efforts that are being undertaken to stop this terrible trade. And a third pressure, a triangle of pressures, is whilst there's too many drugs coming through Jordan, there's a huge deficit of water, isn't there? What do you make of the water challenges that Jordan faces and what they're planning to do about it? This is a really huge problem. This is a dry, essentially desert country, or the manifestations of this, for example, the way even the Dead Sea is dropping. Water is an issue in the whole region, but particularly for Jordan. Now they are spending an enormous amount of money. 
to actually produce a pipeline, a sophisticated pipeline through very difficult terrain, which starts at Aqaba, this desalinization. This is costing billions, but it is absolutely essential because the way that water is disappearing in this country is really going to threaten the viability of the country and as it is dealt with. So it's climate change, of course, manifesting itself hugely. So this again is a massive challenge and the one thing that we constantly heard was concern about water and the fact that the economy cannot function, of course, and the people cannot function if there is insufficient water. This is a huge, huge challenge for the people and government of Jordan. Lord Brisby, you are a trade envoy to both Algeria and Lebanon and have experience of this. And a major theme that we heard emerging was the necessity for Jordan to have growth and grow its economy. What opportunities and what hope do you see for the economy of Jordan? Well, what was impressive is that they, of course, completely understand this. Uh, We, for example, visited an extremely impressive high-tech company, how they operate, Uh, And, of course, what has happened to attract business, we talked to the uh, various ministers, the politicians about this, the taxation rates are very favorable, there are incentives for exporting, incentives. And what is true about this country is that educational standards are very high. So there is a pool of young people who can adapt to changing technologies very successfully. And what Jordan does not want to see is their talented young people simply going to the Gulf states, which of course are much wealthier and more prosperous. This is terrible because of the loss of talent. They're very aware of this. And so there are all these schemes to actually take people into the private sector and actually encourage this and diversify the economy. That is very important. They're very aware of it. We also heard that Jordan has a very special bilateral relationship with the UK and we obviously have a very active UK team and UK engagement with Jordan. If you were to be speaking to ministers, other decision makers about what more we can do, what's going well, what would be the key takeaways from the trip about what the UK can do? We do have a very strong historic relationship. It's also forged by our royal families uh, and it goes back a long way. And we have been part of the history of Jordan right from the beginning, really. I think what we have to do is make sure that there are ways to help to finance this country, which, as I repeat, has no natural resources. The stability and viability of this country is important. The fact that they have taken all these refugees from a humanitarian point of view is crucial. So the prosperity of this country is hugely important for the entire region because it is a country of great stability and social order. And that has not been the case at all in some of their neighbors. It's absolutely, totally in our interest that we have this very moderate country, successful and prosperous. It's really in our interest to do so. And we have this extraordinary mutual trusting relationship between ourselves, which, of course, is very precious to us both. Lord Brisby, thank you very much indeed.